On June 9th, Marine Corps Systems Command welcomed the new commander, Brigadier General David Walsh. He's an aviator by trade with a wealth of acquisition knowledge, including time serving as the Corps' Light Attack Helicopters Assistant Program Manager at Pax River, Maryland. During that period, he was selected as part of the first cadre of Marine Corps acquisition officers. As an acquisition officer, he went on to a variety of assignments to include working as a test pilot, as well as several positions supporting foreign military sales. He also served as program manager on several helicopter programs. In January 2008, he became the Director of Operations at Fleet Readiness Center East, Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point, where he managed depot level maintenance, repair, overhaul of aircraft, engines and components, and supervised production flight test operations, giving him a deeper understanding of both the depot and sustainment world. He served as the military assistant to the Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Research Development and Acquisition at the Pentagon and was the Acting Program Executive Officer Land System for several months before assuming his current position. Obviously, I skipped several entries in a 30-year career that has seen this leader grow from a young aviator in various marine operational squadrons to being the individual responsible for much of the gear in those squadrons to ultimately the head of Marine Corps ground and IT acquisition. So I encourage you all to take a few moments and read his bio to better understanding, understand the breadth and depth of knowledge he brings to his current assignment. Sir, I know you got lots going on, so uh, I appreciate you taking the time to be here on the podcast. But before we get started, can we, uh, we'll just back up in, in time a little bit and sure. tell us where you're from and why you decided to join the Marine Corps. Okay. Yeah. First of all, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk today. I joined the Marine Corps in 1992, originally from New York, didn't have any family background in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was studied aerospace engineering at University of Virginia and was always interested in aviation and space and all that kind of stuff that was going on with space shuttle back in the 80s. And uh, that's, that's why I took my education. After I graduated, I happened uh, to be looking for a job in aviation world and got connected with Pax River as a civilian, uh, trying to get a civilian job there. Uh, at the time, there was a hiring freeze. <laughs> and uh, someone I knew said, well, if you love aviation so much, why don't you go fly? So I went around uh, shopping around the different services, uh, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps, and uh, fell in love with the Marine Corps culture. Uh, saw the opportunity there to go fly and, and joined up. So 1992, jumped in. So I have a personal bias, but I, I really think you made the right decision. Nothing <laughs> against all the other services. but So your predecessor spent a few years focused on modernizing the individual Marine from uh, pure fleet rifle to most of the things that the indiv- individual Marine wears, carries. There's a lot of work left to be done to ensure the Corps meets the objectives for Force Design 2030. What do you see as your main acquisition priorities for the next several years? We take our cues from the Commandant, obviously, and Force Design 2030, and in uh, General Heckel over at CDNI as far as the priorities for the Marine Corps. If you take a look at what the Force Design Update 2030 uh, just came out a couple months ago, mm-hmm. there's a, a bunch of priorities that the Commandant's listed there, but the ones that apply to us as acquisition Marines and an acquisition corps have to do with our counter recon, counter recon fight. Uh, our sensors, being able to find and fix the enemy, and then bring uh, lethal, lethal effects to them, uh, enabling it with a, a, a robust 
and redundant kill web. So for us, that means putting systems out there that can see the enemy, things like Gator Radar, that PO land system is developing, some of our other passive sensors um, will be high priorities, and then things that can pass that, that targeting information to lethal effects um, with a redundant or resilient comm network. And then, of course, the you know, putting, putting warheads on bad guys with uh, things like Nemesis and Emmerich that allow our Marines to uh, be successful on the battlefield. All that um, has to be enabled with uh, a good logistics chain. So for us, as far as priorities on acquisition side, as we look to, to develop all those capabilities I just mentioned, they have to be mobile, they have to be light, they have to be easily transportable you know, with a, a small logistics footprint that can be easily maintained by a small unit. So that's uh, my priorities for uh, as set forth and uh, following in on what the Commandant has put forth in Force Design 2030. And again, you bring a wealth of background to this. I mean, obviously, uh, with your experience at NAVAIR and the time you've spent up at the Pentagon, you, you know how to maneuver the building, you know where the folks are, ideally you know the doors to knock on. What do you hope to bring down to the ground side? What things are you looking forward to do here as far as perhaps maybe bringing the, uh, a little bit of the NAVAIR model or, or capturing what we do here on the ground side and incorporating some of the things that you did at NAVAIR? Yeah, like you mentioned, all of my acquisition experience has been either over at NAVAIR or my, uh, my time at the Pentagon. There are definitely differences between what NAVAIR SISCOM is doing and Marine Corps SISCOM is, is doing, how we're organized, how we do business. I think there's um, pluses and minuses on both sides. My brief time over here at PO Land Systems and Marine Corps SISCOM, I'm still learning how the how system operates. You know, taking a lot of advice from folks who have been here a long time as I look to uh, set priorities and look at how we can uh, uh, change the organization to be better. My time at NAVAIR, I had the opportunity to, to go across a lot of functional areas. I started as a tester, so I did a lot of, uh, some time in the test world, engineering, logistics, uh, manufacturing, and uh, procure, uh, production quality, um, and then into program management, of course. So I've, I've got a pretty wide breadth of experience across the functional areas, at least on the NAVAIR side. I think that will translate well over to the SISCOM side and Marine Corps SISCOM side as well. Um, in my time in the Pentagon, I had the opportunity to work closely. I was with ASNRDA's office and build a lot of relationships with the DASNs, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Navy, in all the functional areas, and particularly with our DASN Air Ground. And using those relationships, I hope to use those relationships here at SISCOM to get us uh, the help we need, the support we need to get stuff moving faster through the acquisition system. Is it fair to say maybe work a little bit on building a better bridge between us and the Navy and, you know, given your relationship on that NAVAIR side? Uh, I mean, from a Marine Corps perspective that we, you know, we fight and we do everything as a MAGTAF. So, Absolutely. you know, we, we understand the air. I mean, we do have different cultures and communities, but right. at the end of the day, it's one seamless team. Yeah, you know, we, we in the Marine Corps operate as a MAGTAF. So building that bridge between the aviation and the ground side is super important. I have those connections over on the aviation side, uh, both on the operational side and in the acquisition community. Yeah, obviously that's a that's a that's a, a priority. Our eighty fifty nine community, our aviation acquisition officers, um, are s separated by an MOS from our eighty sixty one ground acquisition officers, but it's really the same work. And um, I'm hoping to be able to build a tighter 
a, a tighter connection between our 89s and 861s on the acquisition side. And I think that'll make it even a deeper connection between our aviation and ground uh, marines uh, in the fleet and how we support our aviation and ground fleet. As far as the Navy goes, my time up at uh, ASNRDA's office was really valuable in building some connections with the Navy side of the acquisition community. And um, like you said, you know, we're, you know, one of the focuses of the Commonwealth Planning Guidance is uh, a more naval integration between the Navy and the Marine Corps. And uh, that can start here on the acquisition side and then uh, understanding what the Navy's priorities are um, and aligning those and uh, doing our best to support uh, those through the Marine Corps acquisition community as well. So you touched a little bit on the acquisition uh, MOS, Military Occupational Specialty. You were among the first to to be officially indocked into the that MOS, and we have two, obviously, the air and the ground. You served all that time in the air, now you're uh, interacting with all the ground folks. What is some of your vision for the future? Do you see a need to continue to, to work on that on that community? Are we getting enough acquisition officers into the MOS? Two things on that. As far as the 8059, I touched on it a little bit. There's a lot of similarities between those two communities. Um, in the past, I think, have not maybe taken full advantage of those similarities. So I'm hoping to bring those two communities a little bit closer together and uh, spend some time learning from each other. I think there's pluses and minuses on the way NAVAIR does business and the way Marine Corps just comes, uh, does business. Obviously, we're all working toward the same same goal of bringing the best capabilities, sustainable capabilities out to our Marines. And a lot can be learned from NAVAIR learning from Syscom and uh, Syscom learning from the way NAVAIR does business. Our Marines, uh, our 859s and 861s are a great means of bringing those two communities closer together. As far as attracting new talent into the acquisition community, it's always been a challenge because as you sign up as an acquisition officer, you, are, you sign away your opportunity to become a fleet commander. Right. That's, uh, most Marines don't join the Marine Corps to be acquisition <laughs> officers and go uh, get into this business. You sign up to be trigger pullers and you know pilots and wiggle sticks, drop bombs, that kind of stuff. So convincing folks that this is a, a worthy path to take is sometimes challenging, especially at the younger ranks. I think as folks get into the into the acquisition world and they see just the outsized impact they can have mm-hmm. as a major or a lieutenant colonel or as you go up the ranks, even even the wider impact, um, they get bought in. They recognize that as a lieutenant colonel, say, you can go be a battalion commander or a, a squadron CO and you will you know, you'll have that job for you know, 18 months-ish and you'll impact that unit. And of course, that's right. super important what we do as a warfighter, that's, that's, that, that's the pointy end of the spear. But as a lieutenant colonel in the acquisition community, you have a generational impact on what, how the Marine Corps operates, the gear they they, um, they use, and you'll impact a generation of Marines, much longer impact, much deeper impact than you will as a, a fleet commander. So convincing people that's, uh, that's the way to go is a challenge, getting people to sign up on the front end. I talked to the Commandant about this last week uh, with regards to talent management, and he, he kind of broadened it a little bit beyond just the acquisition community. How do we convince our mid-grade, junior mid-grade Marines mm-hmm. that something outside of the fleet or outside of you know, command of a fleet unit is a worthy a worthy pursuit, a worthy career goal? Um, 
for the benefit of the Marine Corps. It's a lot of stuff. You know, acquisition is one, but there are a lot of things in the supporting establishment that are really, really important to the Marine Corps, and we need really good Marines in those jobs. Key critical capabilities that aren't necessarily in an infantry unit. Right. Transition a little bit. I mean, you talked about the fact that uh, we're a naval expeditionary force, and part of the Commandant's conversations on, on force design. Acquisition is a team sport. I think you like to use the word partners. We have a lot of partners that, that we deal with on a regular basis. You spent some time as a test pilot doing experimentation, so you have an understanding of the work. What are you hoping to build on with our relationships, both with uh, Marine Corps Warfighting Lab, McWill, as well as some of our other partners, Combat Development and Integration Command? Yeah, those, are, those partnerships are really, really important. The Warfighting Lab and CTD and CDI, Different roles. You know, I know uh, General Procedure like to talk about the three amigos right, right. and the tight relationship that those three organizations need to have. And and I just want to clarify that the three amigos actually had five or six different amigos. But <laughs> yeah, and you know the partnerships. Uh, there's we those are not our only partners. right, right. Not our only partners in the Marine Corps, right. and definitely not our only partners in this acquisition business. But in particular, those two. Marine Corps Warfighting Lab and then Capabilities Development and Integration. They are the ones that, uh, with the Warfighting Lab, are on the very front edge in our S&T world, looking at the cutting edge technology, working closely with industry and fleet to s- experiment, see what works, what doesn't work. And then, of course, that translates into uh, Capabilities de- Development and Integration, where they generate requirements, which then come over to acquisition side for us to go procure, field, and sustain those capabilities. More tightly knit those three folks are and those three communities are, the better it is for our Marines. If we can get the acquisition community involved up front in the S&T world, in the requirements development mm-hmm. process, and vice versa, get the uh, science and technology folks and the requirements folks involved in the acquisition process, we'll maintain as much maneuver space as possible through the acquisition process to make sure that we have the best available options to field to our Marines. So as an acquisition community, as program managers, as team program teams, engineers supporting uh, Syscom, um, all of the folks that support the team. I think it's really important that they get involved with in what McWill is doing and the work they're doing in the ST community so we can understand as those capabilities evolve from great ideas and mature through so, to something that will generate a requirement, to something we can actually go by, that we we lead turn that, we understand, we, we get involved early. So it's not a throw over defense to capabilities development and integration to the general requirement, then they throw over defense to the acquisition community to go buy it. Because if we lose time in each of those transitions if we're not fully integrated. So, and it's all about time. If you talk to the commandant, talk to General uh, Heckle over at CDNI, talk to the fleet, it's all about getting stuff out to our Marines uh, as quickly as possible. Good cutting edge technology that uh, a lot of it you can see out with our partners um, and the other services internationally in the commercial world, things that our Marines could be using right now that need they, we need to get them in the hands of our Marines. And the more quickly we can do that, the better. And building that relationship and that partnership with our uh, folks in the ST world, experimentation world, and then in the requirements generation world, and our resourcing uh, partners at, at, at uh, PNR uh, will help us get that stuff out there quickly. And I think one of the things, if I heard you correctly, is uh, a lot of great technology out there, a lot of great ideas, and, and uh, you know, people have vision. Uh, and sometimes we look at that vision and we say, well, boy, that wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Something I can use in the battlefield. But I think right. one of the things, if I understood you correctly, uh, as you explained that, is the fact that 
you know, uh, the experimentation is going to lead you to ensuring that you have uh, an attainable requirement and not a requirement. It looks great, sounds great. I think it can do X, Y, and Z. So, so you actually put rigor into the process and validate the fact that you've got a requirement that's doable right. and not something that's outside the realm of, because uh, we get a lot of bright ideas. Yeah, and industry, <laughs> industry in particular, industry uh, does a great job. Uh, working on the cutting edge technology. They've got some really smart folks. Um, they've got resources they invest to make sure they're they're pushing the envelope. Our academic academia, same thing, um, pushing the envelope uh, at the cutting edge of technology. Some of that stuff uh, looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, looks like exactly what the Marines need, but you really need the folks um, on the engineering side, the technical side, and our logistics side in particular to take a look at that and make sure that it's something that is sustainable that we as we feel to our marines it's something that works in the environment that our marines are going to be using it and then we have some kind of sustainment chain to make sure that once it's out there that they can continue to use it that's not just a one and done that we feel that it breaks and we throw it away so you probably need some lance corporal out there to marine proof the thing before Absolutely. you put it out there <laughs> yeah that's a that's you know a great comment you know if we can get our fleet folks um, involved in, in taking a look and evaluating some of that stuff up early and uh, that helps industry. Industry loves to have our Marines out there playing with their gear, uh, giving them ideas because industries industry has their own uh, goals. They're, 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 they're you know, for-profit Absolutely. for the most part and that's a, that's a great thing. It's great for the country, great for the industrial base. They, they want to develop something that our Marines can use and it will will help us defend our nation. So that's something they'll be able to sell to us, right, and to other services. So getting our Marines involved early out there, taking a look at what industry is doing, taking a look at what academia is doing, taking a look at what the Warfighting Lab is doing is really, really important. They, you know, Lance Corporal will go and mm-hmm. they will find a way to break it. They will use it in the environment that they're going to be using. Lance Corporal Pacheco broke a lot of things out there, so I, you know, <laughs> exactly. a long time ago. I, and we learn from that, right? We learn when we break things and the uh, yeah. industry can improve it make it better so that when it actually gets out to the fleet, it doesn't break and it's sustainable and it's something the Marines can use in the battlefield. So you talked a little bit about the front end, the entry into the acquisition process with our partnership, but let's talk a little bit about partner that sustains us. So our relationship to Lawcom, because ultimately we have a responsibility from cradle to grave on these capabilities, but a lot of that transitions to that Lawcom partnership. Can you, uh, and I know you've had some some personal uh, experience and background in depot maintenance and things of that sort. So can you talk a little bit about what you hope to uh, to do there with that partnership as we go forward? Sure. Uh, obviously a really, really important partnership in sustainment. So what we do at Marine Corps Systems Command is we develop the systems and we, as part of that development, we want to obviously have sustainment in mind as we, as we go through that process and feel something. Part of that is making sure that those parts in the, the maintenance and supply um, chain is mature so that when it gets out there, we'll be able to provide parts to, to, to our units. Um, they'll be able to maintain the equipment. And LODCOM obviously uh, plays a very, very important role in that, in that, um, syst- that fleet sustainment piece of it. They, once we establish sources of supply, sources of maintenance, qualify them, it's LODCOM that makes sure those parts get bought they get through the supply system, they get through the logistics system, and they show up out in front lines where the Marines are going to be using them. And that they have everything they need to be able to maintain them, whether at the operational level, out at the fleet unit, 
all the way back to the depots. Let me move on to another partner because obviously, and we touched on industry a little bit, industry is a key critical component. We come up with a lot of great ideas and capabilities that we need, but at the end of the day, it's it's ultimately industry delivering the product. What's your experience of you? I know you've spent a lot of time talking to industry, so what what role do you see from industry and what are you hoping to get from industry as you take on this position? Yeah, industry is is obviously one of our, our key partners. The Marine Corps and the government don't produce a lot. We produce some things, but mm-hmm. most of the stuff that we field our Marines right. comes from industry, right? So it's really important that we build a, a strong relationship with them. Uh, I mentioned that you know they're, they're profit, they're there to make money, they're there to sell things to the government. Um, that's that's like that's good. That's not a bad thing. That's good for uh, good for the country. Where we can align our our priorities is where we, we are most we make our most money. We uh, as industry develops new equipment and uh, looks to sell it to us. If we can get involved up front and early with those guys and collaborate well with them, they'll win. They'll have something they can sell to us and make money. We'll win because we're providing a great capability to uh, to our Marines. Uh, our industry partners, they're great patriots. They're looking to do the right thing. They're uh, a lot of them are veterans. Uh, Marine Corps veterans, a lot of Marine Corps veterans out in the in the companies that we that we work with, and they are truly sincerely looking to, to develop something that will uh, help in our national defense. So keeping that um, early, constant communication with them is uh, really really important. Yeah, and again to your point, I mean they they have to look and see where they're going to invest the future money. Uh, if the Marine Corps needs a truck in five years, you you got to let them know now because the walk down. It's not like you can walk down to uh, you know the Ford or GM store and say, "Can I get this model?" So it takes some time. So I gather you're hoping to sustain and build on those relationships that we currently have. Absolutely. Finally, in partnerships, and and there are a lot of other partnerships that we can talk about, but one very important partner in all of this is Congress. Congress gives us not only the authority but the money to make sure we we get things done and get them in the hands of our Marines. So let's pretend it's Christmas in July. They're working on the uh, on on the next budget. What are you hoping to see uh, come this fall? I, I talked about our acquisition priorities um, a little bit earlier, and I think we're hoping to see the Congress continue to support Force Design Twenty Thirty and all the capabilities we need to uh, to achieve that vision. Congress has been very very supportive, and we uh, we look forward to continuing that. So, what I hope hope to see is uh, continued investment, continued support uh, from the budget to to move down that path. So finally, I mean, you, you, you've you been in the seat for a couple of weeks. you got a workforce of about 2,500 folks out here trying to field cutting-edge capability. What are you looking forward to most in regards to working with this team? And, and maybe in a little bit, what are you hoping that the, the workforce understands about you and how you work to, to best accomplish the mission we have at hand? Yeah, sure. First impressions of the team here, it's a really, really motivated, energetic team. I hope to sustain that. You know, it's a really, really important mission. Important to me personally, a lot of us have family mm-hmm. serving out there in the Marine Corps right now. My son is a second lieutenant. So I think that energy and that connection to the fleet is really, really important. And I feel it. I, you know, I sense it as I walk around and talk to folks. I hope to continue to sustain that. I think it's, it's really easy. You know, it's, it's easy to... Uh, sell folks on the idea that we're doing something really, really important for our Marine Corps and our country. So I, I really enjoy that energy. I enjoy the positivity. 
I enjoy the, the, the uh, folks and the way folks here at, at Marcos Siscom really do try to um, do everything they can to support our Marines. What do you want folks to know about you, your leadership style, how you do things? Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I, I value collaboration. I think we can't get anything done in the acquisition world without our partners, whether it's our partners in industry I talked about, our partner, partners on the, inside the Marine Corps fence with uh, the Warfighting Lab, CDNI, our fleet customers, uh, most importantly. What I've seen 20 years of acquisition is we are most effective when we communicate and, and work well together. There's a book uh, called Getting to Yes that I think is uh, really impactful. You get a chance to read it. It's about understanding each other's motivations, um, whether it's, I talked about industry a little bit, but the fleet industry acquisition uh, or acquisition system and the, and the ch down challenges and demands it puts on us. If we can each understand each other's perspectives and work towards a common goal, um, we can get to yes. So I think collaboration is, uh, I'm a very collaborative uh, leader. I look to get people's input uh, before we, we move towards a decision. I'm also a big proponent of accepting informed risk. Mm -hmm. So I talked a little bit about the need to go fast, get things out to our Marines as quickly as possible. If we try and eliminate every little risk, whether it's a technical risk um, or a programmatic risk, a financial risk, if we try and knock all those down and eliminate all of them, we'll never get anything fielded to our Marines. So it's important to understand the risk and to take informed risks at the right levels. Sir, I, I, I truly appreciate that because, uh, you know, we, we often hear people say 80% is good enough, but uh, it, it's true that often 80% gets us to 100% once it's out there. So that I, I think that's great, and I wish you all the best of luck as you go forward on this. I do want to thank you for taking the time to share some thoughts and, and some of your opinions with you so folks can get a better understanding of who you are. But before I let you go, there's something here we do on the show called the lightning round. All right. So if you got a couple minutes, <laughs> let me hit you with some hard questions. Sure. And I think you may have already touched on one of them. Hopefully you weren't cheating and peeked at my, my script here. But So i got to ask you, what's your favorite duty station? I'd say uh, Pax River I've always enjoyed. We've been in and out of there three times. Um, one of my sons was born there. Um, just a, a great community. I think it's uh, close enough to D.C. where you can get mm -hmm. in and do the city stuff. I'm a city guy, so... I enjoy the city, but it's also a little bit further away, so you can enjoy uh, a little bit of quiet time, too. Oh, that's awesome. We haven't had that one on the show yet, yeah. so that's a first. I may be a pack server guy. Yeah, it's producer. all right. A shout-out to the Navy <laughs> Marine Corps team out there, so I think that's great. What's a favorite TV show, book, movie, or a podcast you'd recommend? I mentioned Getting to Yes. I mm -hmm. think that's a good one. I don't read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of nonfiction, mm -hmm. so most of the stuff I'd recommend is... Uh, Leadership type stuff, leadership thinking. There's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Okay. Uh, Daniel Kahneman is a good one about how how we make decisions. I think it's I think anytime you can be aware of how people make decisions uh, is a good thing, and you can you can learn from that and be make better informed decisions. That's a good one. Uh, what else that I've read recently? Start with Why. Simon Sinek. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Understanding uh, root cause and um, getting to, again, why people make decisions, why things are the way they are. If you can dig down a little bit, a lot of people jump to a, a conclusion right away, but if you dig down a little bit and, and get to root cause and what's really motivating folks, I think it can be really powerful. So the problem with that is both of those books I haven't read yet, and my producer's <laughs> over there taking notes, and she's going to make me read them later yeah. on. So uh, she has quite the extensive list. Uh, thank you for that. I appreciate yeah, sure. that. If you weren't doing this, 
What would David Walsh be out there doing instead? I, I miss flying. Okay. So I would, uh, I would, you know, money not being an object, I would have a plane. I'd be <laughs> traveling around, flying, uh, flying around, visiting clips. So well, if I you got room, travel. I'll go with you. So I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you, know, you know, if money was no object, I'd be uh, tr- have my own plane and, and traveling. But I do miss flying, so I'd like to get back and, and get into the cockpit again. Okay. So you don't retain your flight status while you're in the acquisition world. I retain my flight status. I don't retain my flight qualifications. Gotcha, gotcha, so, yeah. gotcha. All right. <laughs> and, and this one's challenging for a lot of people, but if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, <laughs> no, that's quite all right, because we have people coming out of the woodwork and making up things that I've just never heard before. So yeah, invisibility is a good one. They don't see you coming. And, uh, you know. and, and then we, we, we've also had the one, the power to be able to, to do what I want with this defense budget of mine. So yeah, yeah, uh, that'd be a good one. <laughs> I'll just throw those out there as, as uh, a couple of recommendations. Listen, sir, I want to, I, I want to say it's been a pleasure having the conversation. Thanks. Uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for taking the time to do this. Absolutely. I know there's a lot on your plate. You're, you're working on getting to know the workforce and, and, and wrapping your arms around the plethora of programs that we have here. So I wish you the, the best. Uh, and continued future success. And maybe uh, somewhere down the road we'll have you back and uh, you can talk to us a little bit more about how things are going. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this concludes another episode of Equipping the Corps. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. If so, please take a couple minutes, leave us a review, subscribe, tell your friends about us. Till next time, Manny Pacheco signing off.